Hey, good evening. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope everybody's doing good. Yeah? All right. So there's a little life out there. Good. So God is kind of an amazing God, right? We would all do that. But I didn't realize how amazing until I was driving up here tonight because I'm preaching this sermon on gratitude. And as I was driving here tonight, he gave me an opportunity to be grateful. It was absolutely amazing. We were driving up here and this guy had pulled in, uh, you know, into the wrong lane. And so he was in the other lane blocking traffic and, and causing me to be late. And God just, he made it possible for me to kind of pull around this guy and roll down my window and tell him exactly what he was doing wrong. It was awesome, man. I mean, it was awesome. You know, I was like, hey, buddy, yeah, there it is. No, I'm kidding. I didn't really say that, but I said something completely different. But I am eternally grateful, and here's what I'm grateful for. Just a few weeks ago, I was able to come back from a time away, a sabbatical, uh, that you, the church, uh, the elders and, and the leaders of this church uh, granted me, allowed me to have. And I, I just want to tell you how grateful I am for that. Uh, for the opportunity I had to kind of rest and reflect and just spend time with my family and for the opportunity that I have uh, every day uh, to serve this church, to serve you, uh, and to especially to serve at the East Campus. But I need to make a confession <clears throat> for you tonight. I'm not always very grateful. I'm not actually always a very thankful person. Um, but I have a desire to do well talking about it. And it's kind of hard because I'm not naturally moved with gratitude. I'm not naturally thankful. But I have a desire to do it, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm gonna tell you. I want you to be able to discern what I'm saying. I really wanted to do well. See, I've known that I was gonna preach this weekend for a long time, and I've known what that subject was gonna be. I've known it's gonna be about gratitude. So I've been thinking about this for a really long time and I wanted to do well. I wanted to, I wanted to, I, I want to preach a good sermon on, on gratitude. I, I want to, on thankfulness, or I want to do something that maybe would even be powerful or profound. Maybe it would be even moving. But if I were to be honest, it's just been really hard to write. You know, when I teach, when I stand up, regardless of where it is or when it is, when I teach, I want to be able to impact people's lives. I want to be able to do something or, or, or to preach something that maybe creates change in people's lives. And I don't know how you feel when you hear that. You might think, well, to tell you the truth, that's the kind of sermon I'd love to hear. Maybe you're thinking, that's the kind of sermon I've been waiting for you to preach for a long time. Let me tell you my motivation for feeling this way. I think one of the things that God has been working on me while I was on sabbatical and since is that I'm not the most optimistic person in the world. In fact, I really struggle, struggle to not look on the negative side of things because I'm not naturally thankful. In fact, down deep, I probably ask why me more than anything. Or I ask, why not me? Because there's a lot of my life that I live with an entitled attitude. But God's been working on that for me for a little while now. He's been working on it in different ways, especially over that sabbatical. Earlier this year, my wife started struggling um, eating. Um, 
not eating, but being able to swallow. And it's been going on for a while now. And so we, we said, you know, finally it was like, okay, we got to go have this checked out and see what's going on. And she was diagnosed with this condition and it's not life threatening. You know, she's not going to die from it. But what we've realized is that it's created some uncertainty and and it's created a new season of life. It's created a new reality that she has to live with. And as I started my sabbatical, the way I started it off was going to the, the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. And then ending it with a meeting with a surgeon in Jacksonville. And throughout that time, what I've realized is how much for granted I take her. How much for granted I take that relationship. <clears throat> how too few many how how too few times in my life I'm I'm actually grateful that she chooses to love me. I was able to spend time with my daughter and sons. My daughter earlier this year on a trip with just her and I and my son-in-law and my sons. And and I forget what a blessing they are in my life. I forget how they bless my life. I look at it and think I'm just getting older, but you know, they're becoming men. She's becoming a mother. And then I see my grandchildren. And they love me in spite of me. And I wonder why I have such a hard time being grateful. Because God has blessed me in so many ways. And so for the past few weeks, I have in my mind and in my office at Starbucks. I mean, I stopped, I called my brother who's a pastor and I said, listen, do you have any messages on gratitude because I'm struggling? I've been trying to write this message and it's really on just a really familiar passage in Luke, but it has been a struggle for me. It's been a struggle trying to come up with something that I think would be fresh and new, something that people might say, you know, I never thought of that. And then finally this past week, I think I realized why. And I don't know why it took me so long or, or it took me so long to come to the realization because it's not really anything new. It's something that I've always known. You know, the truth is great messages come from God. They don't come from me. In fact, to be more specific, I think great messages take their life on from a nearness to God, from being close to God. And that means when God is present in a pastor's life, then he'll obviously be present in his relationships, in his ability to lead, and then even in his messages. And you know, in my desire to preach well, I don't think I was paying much attention to God. And that's my confession. But actually, it's not just my confession. 
It's my battle. And I don't know how you feel about hearing that from one of your pastors, but my ongoing battle is a nearness to God. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I don't know if you are like that. I mean, is there anybody that could say the same thing? Is there anybody else who gets so busy with life and who gets so focused on tasks or gets so consumed by accomplishment that they fail to make room or time for nearness with God? For daily guidance or a daily presence for a daily leading of God in their life? This past weekend, I was overwhelmed by the conviction that of all the sins that I'm capable of committing, and there's a bunch of them, the greatest sin that I can commit is to preach the truth of God's word without being owned by it. And anytime I stand up here to speak, anytime any pastor stands up here to preach, thinking about what they desire or what they want to be great or to do great, then we are certainly not being owned by the truth of God's word. Because you see, what I learned is the condition of my heart is a reflection of my nearness to God. That's what I learned, I think, on my sabbatical, that the gratitude and thankfulness that I live with in my life and that I express is a reflection of my nearness to God. The nearer that I am to God, the closer I am to God, then the more gratefulness that I live with in my daily life. And I don't know if you struggle with that, but I do. And when my eyes begin to wander and look around at someone else's life and ability and career and money and possessions and prestige, what I do is I lose sight of what God has given me, what he has blessed me with. And I think what happens, at least for me, and I don't know if this is true for you, but we get unhappy with our life and we sure wish God would do something about it. And so instead of finding joy in what God has done or is in doing or what he has blessed us with, instead of gratitude, what we do is we tend to measure God's goodness and mercy and interest in our lives according to what we see and feel and experience. And we think happiness will somehow complete us. But that's not going to be the case. In fact, the hap in happiness is the, is the same as it is in happenstance or happen or hapless. In other words, our happiness, our gratefulness is dependent on what happens, on our circumstances. Our gratefulness is dependent upon what happens, on our circumstances. Our faith, our gratitude is based on those things and so it becomes really fragile. And when life doesn't work out, we tend to wonder, where is God? Why isn't he interested in my life? And that kind of fragile faith, listen to me, cannot stand under the pressures and pleasures of this life. I know it for a fact. You know how I know it? I know it because I'm an Oklahoma Sooner fan. I was Sooner born and Sooner bred and when I die, I'll be Sooner dead. And every Saturday, I wish I was sooner dead because I can't stand watching them. I mean, they've lost one game this year, but I hate Saturdays. I hate it with passion because you know what? I get no joy from watching a football game. None. I, my, my, I, there is so much stress going on me for four hours during a game, I can't even express it. I don't even care. They've won. They've won 90% of their games. And I struggle with any kind of joy for that four hours. Or literally the next week after that, just thinking about how poorly they played. 
I mean, just think about this. I mean, last year, you guys know we should have won the, the Rose Bowl. We should have beaten Georgia. We were the better team. We would have beaten Alabama. You know that's true. Listen, I'm just here to preach the whole counsel of God. You know, if you guys can't <laughs> take that. I struggle with gratefulness. And instead of being grateful of how good they are and that we're not Kansas, <laughs> I find no joy. But there's a great illustration of thankfulness in the Bible. And thank goodness there is, right? Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17 because I believe there's a great illustration. And you begin to see the life of thankfulness in the life of ten lepers. There's this great story starting in verse 11 of Luke 17 that says this. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village, there were 10 men with leprosy who stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And I want you to picture this. Because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he is literally on his way to die. These are the final weeks of Jesus' life. And as he comes into this village, there's these 10 lepers who call out to him from a distance, 10 men who had the worst disease of that day. And the physical ramifications of what they were going through were horrendous. I mean, leprosy attacks the body. It leaves sores, missing fingers, missing toes, damaged limbs. And in many cases, the initial pain of leprosy gives way to something, something even more terrible than that. It gives away to a loss of sensation and nerve endings leading to damaged to, damp, to more damaged body parts. And the disease, amazingly, can take 30 years to run its course. And in that time, entire limbs can simply fall off. You and I have nearly an impossible task to fathom what it was like 2,000 years ago when medical treatment was nowhere near what it is today. And that was just the physical pain. I mean, the emotional pain of a leper had to have been even even worse than the physical pain because he was completely removed from his family and from his community. There could be no contact whatsoever with his children, with his grandchildren, with his spouse, immediately removed from it. No contact. I mean, his wife wouldn't even have been allowed to kiss him goodbye. He wouldn't have allowed it for fear that she too would have become afflicted with it. And then as they walked the streets, usually in groups, they had to announce their presence by shouting, unclean, unclean, so everybody would move away. And yet in this account, look at what they say. Ten men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now I want you to take note of the fact that they called Jesus Master. Because it's not just a coincidence or a casual detail. In the original language of the New Testament, the word there is epistatus. And it's used to describe someone who has notable authority or notable power or even miraculous power. This is the word, listen to this, this is word is used only in the New Testament by Luke. And it's the only place that it's used to speak about Jesus by anyone other than a disciple. Now it's significant because it shows us that these 10 men knew who Jesus was and they knew what he could do. They knew he was their only hope. And so they said to him, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And Jesus responded because that's what Jesus does. That's what he does. That's what he'll do for you. If you come to a place in your life where you recognize that he is your only hope, he will respond 
And to these men, he responds. And in verse 14, he says, go and show yourself to the priests. Now, why would he say that? I mean, here's, here's the reason. Because this disease was so serious that someone had to verify that a cure had taken place. And that someone was a priest. Because the priests were like ancient health inspectors. That was just one of their jobs. And it's important because it was the only way that a leper could be allowed to come back into society again. And so here's the deal. When Jesus told the lepers to go and show themselves to the priests, he was saying, in effect, that they would be healed. That they were going to be healed, and they were. Look back at the second part of verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, okay? I want you to think about incredible, what incredible faith this was. These men see Jesus coming, right? And he said, they say, Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, he responds to their lost hope. And he says, go and show yourself to the priest, which is just an indication that I'm going to heal you. And then it says, and so they went. And as they went, they were what? Healed. You know, the amazing thing about that is those men turned and went and nothing about their condition had changed. They turned and left and began walking to the priest and not one thing about their circumstance had changed. Not one thing. And you know what that is? That's faith. Jesus just spoke and they responded and they went. They walked in faith. They walked in faith. And here's something really, this story is an incredible story because with just the power of his words, he brings a supernatural healing to this men's lives. And listen to this, the word used for cleansed in the Greek word here, in the Greek is the word, karth, karth, I'm gonna get this wrong, sorry, katharizo. And it basically means that there was nothing left. So in other words, as they went on their way, as they turned to go to the priest, to show themselves to the priest, their skin all of a sudden, supernaturally, from the top of their heads to the bottom of their feet, became completely new. Everything about them was healed. Nothing happened, but they headed off to the priest. And on their way, as they walked in faith, they were healed. On their way, a hand reappeared. Fingers tingled with life. Skin cleared. One of them looked at another one, and, and they looked at the rest of them. And then the screaming started, right? And smiles broke into cheering and they raced off into the distance, not believing that the nightmare that they had been living is finally over. And here's the bottom line for this part of the story. In order for the miracle to happen, these men had to start walking in faith before, before their circumstances had changed one tiny bit. And this is the lesson for you and me. You cannot wait until your problems are over to start walking in faith and gratitude. You cannot put conditions on a holy God. You cannot say, look, as soon as there's enough money, I'm going to follow your instructions and I'm going to praise you. Lord, if you'll just solve this issue in my marriage, Lord, if you'll solve this problem with my health, Lord, if you'll so show me that you're real, Lord, you fill in the blank. You cannot put conditions on a holy God. Instead, God places a demand of faith on you before anything in your life has changed. God might say, love me despite the disease. He may say, obey me despite the lack of talent or the lack of resources. He may say, follow me despite the depression. He, say, may, he, he may say no to temptation while it's still difficult. 
He may say, praise me in the darkest of nights. Be thankful in the worst of circumstances. Because that's the nature of a God who loves you and me so much. That he will give us the opportunity to be faithful. He will give us the opportunity to be grateful even when nothing about our circumstances gives us that motivation. You see, if you praise God only on good days and only in the best of circumstances, then it's not really gratitude. And it's not really faith. This is about gratitude that is expressed in spite of your circumstances. In spite of your happenstance. And some of you, I don't know where you are in life, but some of you are in difficult circumstances right now. And what awaits you later today or tomorrow or this week or, or next month is forcing you to question, will you be able to trust God despite the difficult circumstances? Will you believe God is still good even when your circumstances aren't? Will you praise him and will you express gratitude even when there's no reason to? Will your gratitude be built on a faith that trusts in spite of your circumstances or will it be built on happenstance? And I ask you that question because what happens next makes in this story makes it really practical for you and me today. Look at verse 15. It says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to Jesus' feet, fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, did I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Had no, had, had no, has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. And when I look at this, I think there's three specific things that I see about being grateful, about living faithful lives, about being grateful to God and living thankful lives. And the first one is this, being thankful puts you in the minority. You know, in this story, it was one out of 10 who expressed gratitude for what Jesus had done. I mean, think about that. That's 10%. And in our world today, uh, that, those percentages might actually be lower, right? But here's the amazing thing about what that tells me. It tells me that while grateful people are rare, they also stand out in a crowd, and don't you believe that's true? Don't you know that's true? I mean, people who live thankful lives are conspicuous because they stand out everywhere. They stand out at home, in the workplace, at church, among friends, every way they go, because sadly, there just aren't enough that many genuine, genuinely thankful people in the world today, which is really sad. Most of them are like me when I'm riding by that guy in front of Walmart. And what's sad, what's sad about it is that, that when you think about in the sense as Christians, we should be the most grateful people on earth. We should be the most thankful people on earth, but somehow that's not the case. And I say for some reason, but the truth is I know the reason. It's the reason for every other shortcoming in our life, and that's sin. Listen, in fact, the sin, is, the sin of not being thankful has been around since the beginning of time. There's nothing new about it. And you can track it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You just think about Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Eve was the one person who had it all, right? I mean, you could say that she had the perfect life. She had the perfect body, the perfect husband, the perfect home, just like my wife. 
She had the perfect relationship with God. And yet when it was all said and done, she believed Satan's lie that it just wasn't enough. That God was somehow holding out on her. And she did the same thing. She did the one thing God told her not to do. And she ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know why she did it? I think the reason, at least in part, is that she just could not be thankful for what God, out of his goodness, had provided because she thought she needed more. Does that sound familiar? And the resulting consequence of her lack of thankfulness was devastating for all humankind. In fact, it began, it was devastating in the life of Adam. And it was devastating that Adam believed the lie just like she did. And because of that, because of that, it just devastated all humankind. And because of that, I do the same thing today. I'm guilty of the same sin. The same exact sin. Look at Romans chapter one. I preached on this not very long ago, but I wanted to read it to you because I thought it was so, so appropriate for this. Romans chapter one, verse 18 says, but God shows his anger against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. And so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the gracious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And so God abandoned them to whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And in that passage, Paul gives a list of horrendous sin that God gave people over to. Those sins range from idolatry to sexual immorality, to sexual perversion, to murder, and you could go on and on. But look back at verse 21 because this is where it began. Yes, they knew God, but they, couldn't, they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. I want you to listen to me. Being thankful as far as God is concerned is not a matter of protocol or politeness. It goes to the very heart of what we really think about God. And it has a profound effect on who we are. And it's something that God notices. Look at verse 7 and 18 in our story. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? There's a reason thankful being a thankful person puts you in the minority today. And that's the truth that we live in a sinful and fallen world that's populated by sinful and fallen people. But you and I have been called to be different. You and I have been called to be grateful and to be a powerful witness in that graciousness to this world. I think another observation I made is this. Being thankful is an expression. It's not an emotion. Being thankful is an expression, not an emotion. It's a demonstration rather than a sensation. And people say, you know what? It's not that I don't feel thankful. It's just I'm not really good at expressing it. Well, guess what? Then that's your failure. That's your failure. Because one of the most significant things about being thankful is it's not just something you feel. It's something you demonstrate. In fact, if you are not expressing thankfulness, then your thankfulness does to no one any good. Because thankfulness that is not expressed isn't thankfulness. 
I mean, the story begins with those lepers calling to Jesus, have mercy on us. And, it's, and then what if Jesus had said, okay, okay, I'll have mercy. You know what? I have strong feelings of mercy and compassion for you in my heart. But you know, unfortunately, I'm not really good at expressing it. But I'm, I can feel it. All right, I, I feel for you. Can you ever imagine him saying that? It's the same with thankfulness. Thankfulness is useful only when it's expressed and demonstrated and put into action in our lives. One of the things I love about this story is that verse 15 says, when, one of those le- when that leper came back after he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And verse 16 says, he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And those words, loud voice, come from a Greek word, phonomegalos. And it literally means at the top of his lungs. It means that he ran back shouting at the top of his lungs, praise God. Look what you have done. Look what you have done in my life. And it really struck me this week because it made me think, do I do this? Do I ever do this? Do I make it a point to think people in a loud voice? I mean, listen, I do a lot of things in a loud voice. Just ask my family. I complain in a loud voice. I give orders in a loud voice. I tell jokes in a loud voice. But do I thank people in a loud voice? You know, the lesson here is that thankfulness isn't an emotion, it's an expression. And sometimes it's an expression that needs to be a little over the top. That's the application. If you sincerely, if you're sincerely thankful, it's a little, it's okay to be a little, go overboard, to be loud and expressing it just like he was. One last observation, listen, being thankful is always going to lead to more. Here's the amazing thing. When the leper came back to say thank you, he experienced something that the other nine missed because of their lack of thankfulness. He experienced a greater blessing than just being healed. And here's what I mean. Look at verse 19. Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. And here's the deal. The word healed doesn't tell the whole story because it makes you only think of a physical healing in his life. But the word that's used in this this sentence is a Greek word called sozo. And it's the word for salvation. It's the word, it's not a word for healed. It's not a word for cleansed. We saw that just a little bit earlier. In this context, it's a word for saved. In fact, there are times in other passages, in in other translations where it's translated as saved. You see, this man, unlike the nine others, realized that he had had a personal encounter with God. And so he went back and he thanked Jesus in a loud voice and he threw himself down at Jesus' feet. And as a result, he wasn't just healed, he was cleansed. He wasn't just cleansed, he was saved. The other nine had that experience. The other nine had been cleansed. The other nine had been healed. This man was saved. And it began with an act of thankfulness. Because being thankful always leads to more. So two takeaways. Two takeaways at Thanksgiving. Number one, make a list and write a letter. Probably most of us are guilty of not saying thank you enough, if you're like me. And so I want to encourage you to start a list of people today. I don't want you to wait till tomorrow. I don't want you to wait till another time. I want you to make a list. I want you to make a commitment to make a list today of people who have impacted your life. And don't tell me there's nobody's impacted your life because somebody's impacted your life. Somebody has impacted your life, a friend, a mentor, an encourager, somebody you work with, somebody without whom you would be a different person today, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your kids. 
I mean, there are so many, many people that God has brought into our life, people who have blessed and taught and encouraged us and, and corrected, and they deserve gratitude. And then I want you to take time and I want you to write them a letter telling them of the impact that they've had on your life. Listen to me, I've already done this. When I wrote this message, I sat down and I wrote a letter because I didn't want to come up here and say, tell you to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. And so I wrote a letter and I sent it this week. I want you to write a letter. I don't want you to make a call. I don't want you to make an email. I want you to write a real letter on real paper in a real envelope with a real stamp. And if you don't know what that is, then come up here at the end and I'll tell you all about it, okay? But I want you to make a commitment to find at least one person and write a letter and tell them why you're grateful. And then the second thing I want you to do, the second takeaway is this. I want you to pray a prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving every single night before you go to sleep. I want you to write down four blessings that you are grateful to God for. Four things. Now listen, you're not always gonna feel grateful, but it's not about a feeling. It's about an expression. So regardless of your circumstances, show up and remember his grace and his blessing and thank, you, thank him and write down four things that you are thankful for every night. Every night. Write them on your phone. They have a note thing. Every single night. Let me close by asking you this. I want you to think about this. One guy, one guy out of 10 came back and just said thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me life, for giving my life back. One man came back. Will you be the one? Will you be the one? I want you to think about it. Will you be the one that daily pauses to give glory and honor to the one that gave you life? Will you be the one to stop in all the busyness and lift up a true heartfelt worship to your father? Will you be the one to give praise and honor and worship and glory to the one who when you were a sinner sent his son Jesus to do something that you could never do for yourself and that you certainly didn't deserve? Will you be the one? Will you be the one? And not just with God. Think about the people that have had an impact on you. Will you be the one who stops long enough to write a thank you note and to express gratitude to someone who's impacted you? Will you be the one today to say to the people who are ministering to your kids faithfully every single week in this building, thank you for investing in my kids. Thank you for serving me and my family. Will you be the one to stop and thank a friend, a teacher, a spouse, your spouse, your kids, your parents, a pastor? Will you be the one to stop and show gratitude and honor? Or will you be like the other nine? Will you be the one? Or will you just be like everybody else? Will you be the one? Or are you just going to be like me? Father, I thank you for your love and your grace in my life. And what I'm grateful most of all is that you love me in spite of me is that I never deserved your love. I never deserved your grace, and yet you gave it. And you continue to give it every, every day in my life.
Father, tonight I just want to say how grateful I am that you have chosen to love me even when I was unlovable, even when I'm unlovable. And I pray for the courage, Father, to stand up, to live a life of gratitude for so many blessings in my life. Father, I love you, and I thank you for loving us. I thank you for loving us. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.